Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 313. Today's big Bible question, what is a good word for those discouraged and or excited by the election? Also, we're going to talk about what is the hardest dad job. Well, happy Wednesday, friends. Uh, Well, as I say that, I sort of realize that for many of our American listeners, you might not be too happy right now, no matter what side of the political divide you are on. Because as I speak and record this, the presidential election has pulled to 2020, and we've no idea who the winner will be, and it may well be a week or more before we really do get an idea. So what are we going to do? What's going to happen? Well, let me hit you with a few reminders that are very important and hopefully will encourage and exhort you, no matter what side of the political fence you are on, even if you're in another country, I think this will be useful for you. So five reminders when things don't go our way politically or when things go greatly our way politically. Number one, if you are a Christian, you are an alien and stranger in your country, whatever country that is. This means that politics, while quite important in some ways, aren't ultimately important for us. They aren't ultimate things. As we hear in 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So what are we? Well, we're foreigners in whatever country we live in. Not only that, number two, not only are we strangers and aliens or foreigners and exiles, but first and foremost, before whatever country you and I are citizens of, we are citizens of heaven, says Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that our ultimate victory is not winning an election, but in our soon-coming Savior, Jesus, as we talked about yesterday. Number three, as important as who the next president is, and it's important, much more important is who the current King of Kings and Lord of Lords is. As we learn in Revelation 17, 14, we're told that they will wage war against the Lamb, Jesus, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So we know who's on the throne now. King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the sacrificed and risen Lamb, Jesus Christ. That's the important thing. Number four, you know this already, but as a reminder, our ultimate source of hope is not a president, though, again, I concede elections are important. Our ultimate source of hope is not human, though. It's God. So no matter what happens with the person you are supporting in this election or with the person you are opposed to in this election, because that seems like that's more more of what's going on, Don't rejoice too much if your candidate wins or your enemy loses because the direction of your life doesn't depend on his winning. And don't mourn too much if your candidate loses or your enemy wins for the same reason. We hear in 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10, Paul says, We felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So is your hope in a particular presidential candidate or a particular presidential party? It shouldn't be. On God, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Finally, number five, remember that whoever sits in the Oval Office or on the throne of whatever country is not ultimately in control, God is. Proverbs 21.1 says, 
In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. And yes, I believe that applies just as much to kings as it does to presidents. And what Proverbs 21.1 tells us is that God is the one that controls the king's heart and turns it this way and that. So, our Bible readings for today include 2 Kings 17, Psalm 129 through 131, Hosea chapter 10, and Titus 3. In a moment, we're going to continue with our reading in Big Bible Question, but first I do have a question for you. What is the hardest maintenance job in your home? I call these dad jobs because as hardworking as my wife is, there are some jobs that fall to me to do as the dad. Plunging toilets, moving large things, doing the dishes, yes, that is my job around the house, and checking on things that go bump in the night, werewolves, vampires, creaking doors, etc. About once or twice a year, though, our disposal gets clogged in the kitchen, and the sink fills with nasty water from the bowels of Hades, and it's my job to unclog it. This happened tonight, delaying the podcast by well over an hour, maybe two hours, and I knew I was in for a tussle because the sink was full of gallons of just nasty water with weird things swimming around in it. A clever man would have removed the water with a cup and bucket or something before working on the sink, but (laughs) I am not a clever man. And my large bucket under the sink, I overestimated its size. It was inadequate for the Niagara Falls that plummeted down the pipes once I loosened them. And friends, I don't know if you've seen gravity act on water in a situation like that, but my gosh, it comes out so fast. And you find yourself just staring at it thinking, this is going to flood and you can't move because it's moving like a mighty river. And sure enough, it went all over me and all over the kitchen floor and under the oven and ugh, it's so gross. And anyway, the culprit for the clog was a huge mass of solidified bacon grease that had been poured into the drain, no doubt while still nice and liquidy, and that disgusting white bacon grease had come to room temperature and congealed around a beautiful small silver spoon that honestly I did not know we possessed. No idea where it came from. Look, I think about three pigs worth of bacon grease was in that pipe, along with a wig or two's worth of human hair, but it all came out with a spoon, and now I probably have leprosy and four other diseases, and I'm sure I'm going to have nightmares for the next few nights about cleaning out that disgusting mass of... whatever it was. Well, what is your hardest dad job or mom job around the house? I'd love to hear from you. Leave a comment at BibleReadingPodcast.com or tweet me or Facebook me or stop me on the street and say, hey, my hardest dad job is so-and-so. By the way, I'm afraid I don't have a spiritual application for that story. Honestly, I'm just venting since nobody is awake right now to hear my lamentations over how hard the sink job was, and I suppose I should get you back to your regularly scheduled podcast now. So, how should we respond if we are either discouraged or, maybe on the other hand, overjoyed about the outcome of the election, or where most of us are today, confused and worried and concerned? 
Well, that's our Bible question of the day, and I'm glad you asked it because our passage today in Titus 3 is almost like Paul foreseeing the division and controversy called by the events of 2020 in the election, decided to fire off a letter to the church of November 2020 and basically just sent it to us via a time capsule. So, in fact, tonight uh, for our family Bible time, I read that passage and one of the kids was like, Dad, I know you picked that passage out to challenge me because of this political thing I'd said earlier or some such thing like that. And the fact of the matter is I hadn't done that. It just was so appropriate to the moment. It sounded like I was targeting, but I wasn't. That was our regularly scheduled chapter for the night. We read Titus 2 yesterday. I didn't plan it. Somebody planned it. Not me. So let's read the passage and hear the Holy Spirit anointed commands of God for us in this day and hour. Titus chapter 3 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, for you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis because I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All those who are with me send you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you, no matter the outcome of the election, and even in the between parts where we don't know, we have here in the Word of God some very, very, very crucial and important marching orders from our passage today, so let's break them down sort of in a dialogue format. First, we as Christians, you and I, must submit to the rulers and authorities. Now, hang on, Paul. Democrat ruling authorities? Yes. Republican ruling authorities, yes. I don't see an exception there either way, but I have made a case elsewhere on the Bible Reading Podcast that we as Christians must obey God rather than man when given orders by the government that directly contradict God's commands. That doesn't mean orders that directly contradict our preferences or things that are important to us, but only God's commands. So, how do we handle this election? First thing, we submit to our leaders whoever they might be. What next? Here are some strong words. Slander no one. Wait a minute, Paul. Does this mean I can't slander Joe Biden? Yes, it's what it means. Wait, wait, Paul. Does this mean I can't slander Donald Trump? Yes. Can I not slander Democrats or Republicans, mainstream medias and Congress people? 
No one, says Paul, slander no one. What part of no one do you not understand? Further, he keeps going. Avoid fighting. Wait, Paul, what if they're idiots? Avoid fighting. Be kind. Be kind to who, Paul? Well, he answers that question in the very next command when he says, be gentle to everybody. Everybody? Even our political opponents, Paul? Why should we be kind and gentle to people that are wrong, Paul? Because, says Paul in the Word of God, you were once foolish, disobedient, enslaved to sin, angry, envious, and worse. In other words, you were them. You were wrong, and you didn't save yourself. You didn't open your blind eyes. Jesus saved you. So you and I, friends... We don't have any place to look down our nose at somebody that's wrong. We have to be kind. Oh, darn, Paul. This is hard, especially in 2020. There's so much disunity and disagreement. So many people are wrong. People are wrong on the internet. I have to fight fight and argue with them, right? No, says Paul. Completely avoid foolish debates, controversies, and quarrels and disputes, whether about politics or theology. But Paul, hang on, my sister or brother or teacher or spouse or Facebook friend is wrong. I have to fight them. How will they know? No, says Paul, you don't have to fight them. In fact, you mustn't avoid debates and quarrels. Elsewhere, he tells Timothy, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. You and I, we want to serve the Lord? Well, we can't quarrel. But why, Paul? I want to argue and quarrel. And Paul says, well, here's the thing about arguments, disputes, quarrels, etc. They are worthless and they profit nothing. They don't help you. They don't help your opponent. Oh, wow. That's kind of sobering, Paul. So what do I do with all of this angst and energy and sadness or joy, however things turn out? What do I do with all these emotions I'm feeling right now? I'm glad you asked, says Paul. Here's what you do. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Oh, well, I'm starting to see it. So I don't devote myself to attacking people or being unkind or slandering or rebelling against authority, but I do devote myself to kindness, gentleness, submission, and doing good works for those who are in real and genuine need. And Paul says, at last, you've got it. So friends, I want to encourage you, take Titus 3 as a Holy Spirit-inspired and authoritative letter from God through Paul to you, addressed to you today, November 4th, 2020, and follow those wonderful and wise commands of God's word. Amen. Well, let us continue in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. In the twelfth year of Judah's king Ahaz, Hoshea, son of Elah, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned nine years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. King Shalmaneser of Assyria attacked him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria caught Hoshea in a conspiracy. He had sent envoys to so king of Egypt and had not paid tribute to the king of Assyria as in previous years. Therefore, the king of Assyria arrested him and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the whole land, marched up to Samaria, and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. He deported the Israelites to Assyria and settled them in Halah, 
along the Habor, Gozans River, and in the cities of the Medes. This disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and because they worshipped other gods. They lived according to the customs of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites and according to what the kings of Israel did. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. They built high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up from themselves sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. They burned incense there on all the high places, just like the nations that the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did evil things, angering the Lord. They served idols, although the Lord had told them, you must not do this. Still, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to the whole law I commanded your ancestors and sent to you through my servants the prophets. But they would not listen. Instead, they became obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenants he had made with their ancestors and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves, following the surrounding nations the Lord had commanded them not to imitate. They abandoned all the commands of the Lord their God. They made cast images for themselves, two calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed in worship to all the stars in the sky and served Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire and practiced divination and interpreted omens. They devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight and angered him. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and he removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained. Even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God but lived according to the customs Israel had practiced. So the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, punished them, and handed them over to plunderers until he had banished them from his presence. When the Lord tore Israel from the house of David, Israel made Jeroboam son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam led Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit grave sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins that Jeroboam committed and did not turn away from them. Finally, the Lord removed Israel from his presence, just as he had declared through all his servants, the prophets. So Israel has been exiled to Assyria from their homeland to this very day. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and settled them in the place of the Israelites in the cities of Samaria. The settlers took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. When they first lived there, they did not fear the Lord. So the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. The settlers said to the king of Assyria, The nations that you have deported and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the requirements of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them that are killing them because the people don't know the requirements of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria issued a command, Send back one of the priests you have deported, have him go and live there so he can teach them the requirements of the God of the land. So one of the priests they had deported came and lived in Bethel, and he began to teach them how they should fear the Lord. But the people of each nation were making their own gods in the cities where they lived and putting them in the shrines of the high places that the people of Samaria had made. The men of Babylon made Sukkoth Benoth, the men of Kuth made Nergal, the men of Hamath made Ashima, the Avites made Nibaz and Tartak, and the Sepharvites burned their children in the fire to Adrimelech and Ahimelech, the gods of the Sepharvaim. They feared the Lord, but they also made their ranks from their ranks priests for the high places who were working for them at the shrines of the high places. 
They feared the Lord, but they also worshipped their own gods according to the practice of the nations from which they had been deported. They are still observing the former practices to this day. None of them fear the Lord or observe the statutes and ordinances, the law and commandments that God had commanded the descendants of Jacob, whom he had given the name Israel. The Lord made a covenant with Jacob's descendants and commanded them, Do not fear other gods, do not bow and worship to them, do not serve them, do not sacrifice to them. Instead, fear the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm. You were to bow down to him and you were to sacrifice to him. You were to be careful always to observe the statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandments he wrote for you. Do not fear other gods. Do not forget the covenant that I have made with you. Do not fear other gods, but fear the Lord your God, and he will rescue you from all your enemies. However, these nations would not listen, but continued observing their former practices. They feared the Lord, but also served their idols. Still today, their children and grandchildren continue doing as their ancestors did. Psalm 129 verse 1 Since my youth they have often attacked me, let Israel say, Since my youth they have often attacked me, but they have not prevailed against me. Plowmen plowed over my back, they made their furrows long, the Lord is righteous. He has cut the ropes of the wicked, let all who hate Zion be driven back in disgrace. Let them be like grass on the rooftops, which rithers before it grows up, and can't even fill the hands of the reaper, or the arms of the one who binds sheaves. Then none who pass by will say, May the Lord's blessing be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Psalm 131, verse 1. Lord, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, my soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Amen. Finally, Hosea chapter 10, verse 1. Israel is a lush vine. It yields fruit for itself. The more his fruit increased, the more he increased the altars. The more his land produced, the more better they made the sacred pillars. Their hearts are devious. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their pillars and demolish their sacred pillars. In fact, they are now saying, We have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. What can a king do for us? They speak mere words, taking false oaths while making covenants so lawsuits break out like poisonous weeds in the furrows of a field. The residents of Samaria will have anxiety over the calf of beth Indeed, its idolatrous, idolatrous priests rejoiced over it. The people will mourn over it, over its glory. It will certainly go into exile. The calf itself will be carried to taken to Assyria as an offering to the great king. Ephraim will experience shame. Israel will be ashamed of its counsel. Samaria's king will disappear like foam on the surface of the water. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, will be destroyed. Thorns and thistles will grow over their altars. They will say to the mountains, cover us, into the hills, fall on us. Israel, you have sinned since the days of Gibeah. They have taken their stand there. Will not war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? I will discipline them at my discretion. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bondage for their double iniquity. 
Ephraim is a well-trained calf that loves to thresh, but I will place a yoke on her fine neck. I will harness Ephraim. Judah will plow. Jacob will do the final plowing. Sow righteousness for yourselves and reap faithful love. Break up your unplowed ground. It is time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like the rain. You have plowed wickedness and reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in your large numbers of soldiers. The roar of battle will rise against your people and all your fortifications will be demolished. In a day of war, like Shalman's destruction of Beth Arbel, mothers will be dashed to pieces along with their children. So it will be done to you, Bethel, because of your extreme evil. At, the, at dawn, the king of Israel will be totally destroyed. Lord, have mercy. Well, friends, may he have mercy on you. May he guide us through this uncertain time, whether you're in America or without. May he give us wisdom and cover us in his protection. May he give you joy in your heart. And may he cause faith to rise up in you as you apprehend and listen to his word. Good day to you and Godspeed.